I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. I'm Trey Yanks. With new COVID-19 hotspots popping up around the world, a nightmare scenario is unfolding in northern Syria. The health system is is undermined and, and overloaded. A lot of the infrastructures that were in place are, are either damaged or fully destroyed. A lot of the, uh, the doctors and nurses surgeons and other specialists that have, would have taken care of the area have, have fled. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. There are nearly a million people internally displaced from Syria's Idlib province after government forces launched an offensive last year to recapture the territory from rebels. Now, a coronavirus outbreak is threatening this vulnerable population. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Tua Jacobson, the program director for CARE International, dealing with northwest Syria. Starting first in Italy, that was previously the world's coronavirus epicenter for a period of time. The country has had multiple days this week of less than 200 new infections, indicating a second wave is so far being avoided. Italy reopened its internal borders in June, but opted out of the European Union border openings earlier this month. Now to Spain, that did reopen its international borders. After seeing more than 300,000 positive cases, Spanish authorities are now concerned about a second wave of the virus. Health officials in Madrid noted this week they do not expect a countrywide mask policy to go into effect, despite more than 100 localized outbreaks happening in different areas. Finally, in Turkey, that has seen more than 200,000 cases of coronavirus, outbreaks are still unfolding. Multiple days this week saw more than 1,000 positive cases. Last week, Turkish authorities launched an inspection of the country's safety protocols and set up checkpoints in some cities. Just south of Turkey in northern Syria, a new COVID-19 outbreak is threatening a large civilian population. We don't know enough, that's for certain. This is Tua Jakobsen, the program director for CARE International dealing with northwest Syria. He joins us today from Turkey. Since the beginning of the sort of global outbreak, uh, there has been a lot of stories coming out of, of, of government-controlled parts of Syria uh, Iranian soldiers returning to their home um, positive uh, with cases. Um, uh, Pakistani militiamen returning to Pakistan with, with, with COVID-19. Um, while at that time there was there was no detectable cases. So I, I think it's fair to say that there is a um, there is probably a large outbreak taking place that we're not uh, aware of. Um, we have not seen sort of major spillover into opposition controlled areas yet. Um, but that is mainly to do with a, sort of quite an active front line um, and, and little engagement between the two sides. Um, but we are assuming that there's sort of a quite of a quite a big hidden outbreak going on. And this week we saw reports of an outbreak starting in Idlib. I think this is an area that the international community is vaguely familiar with, if they've been following the latest developments in the ongoing civil war, but. Talk to me about the health infrastructure in Idlib and what we know about the outbreak so far in this area. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, overall, the area is is, is very severely impacted in general. Um, the, the, the conflict has been raging on, on Idlib for, for years now, and particularly, of course, with extra attention in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. Um, the health system is 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 undermined and, and overloaded. A lot of the infrastructures that were in place are are either damaged or fully destroyed. Um, a lot of the uh, the doctors and nurses, 
surgeons and other specialists that have, would have taken care of the area have, have fled. And so we are we're dealing with a, with a health system that is both um, in terms of infrastructure, uh, very weak in terms of, of, of human capacity is very weak. And in terms of access to, to, to medicines and, and critical supplies is also in a very weak position. Uh, what we know for now is that uh, we have four positive cases so far. Um, that might not sound of many, and, and we, I, I, wish, I wish it would remain at, at that level, uh, but, but obviously um, following trajectories from, from any other part of the world, it's, it's probably not going to stay this way. Uh, the first case we detected uh, some days ago um, uh, with a local doctor, um, and the additional three cases all have uh, direct relations to that doctor. And so for now, we're not seeing, we're seeing it within the same, basically the same cluster of, of transmission. Um, the fear, of course, is that when you are a doctor working in overcrowded hospitals, you see a lot of patients um, and, and uh, with very limited access to PPE, very limited access to, 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 to a setup where you can have physical distance. There's a high risk that that doctor might have uh, transmitted, basically, further infected a lot more people. It remains to be seen, of course, but that's the big concern. Overcrowding, I think you hit the nail on the head here about one of the major issues, specifically in northwest Syria, about the spread of COVID-19. I wanted to shift to refugee camps. We know that after the Syrian government launched their offensive to retake Idlib province late last year, that almost a million civilians were displaced. And internally displaced persons within Syria, it's a massive problem for the spread of disease. And it was before the start of coronavirus. Now I imagine this is really teeing up to be possibly one of the worst humanitarian disasters that the country has seen if we start to see the spread of COVID-19 in refugee camps within Syria. You're, you're absolutely right, and that's exactly our fear. I mean, there, there are two things, right, that, that has proven around the world to, to, to slow down the spread, physical distance and, and, and good hygiene practices. And, and neither of those are available to, to the millions of people that live in, in, in IDP camps or live in, in, in other sort of substandard housing um, factories, schools, et cetera, et cetera, where they're crammed together. The, the fear really is that, that if the virus get a hold of, of one of those localities, uh, you will see a very, very rapid spread and you will see uh, mortality rates that are a lot higher than what we see globally because there's just no adequate access to, to treatment. Um, less than 100 uh, respirators available in, in, in health uh, structures across the Northwest. Uh, meaning, obviously, uh, the health system will be overwhelmed within weeks. Um, and from there on, it's just going to go downhill. So, yeah, we're, we're extremely concerned. It's, it's really a nightmare scenario. You've been listening to Tua Jakobsen, the program director for Care International, dealing with Northwest Syria. We'll be right back. In a lot of these rebel-held areas within Syria, the regime of Bashar al-Assad has continued this campaign, and like you noted, it moves the front line sometimes on a weekly basis. So it can be difficult for NGOs to operate on the ground and actually provide aid to this uniquely vulnerable population of people. Talk to me about the efforts of CARE within Syria. What is CARE doing to take care of civilians who have been caught in the crossfire? And looking forward, where do you hope that aid will be focused for 
the people of Syria. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, CARE, CARE has been working uh, in, in all parts of Syria, actually, since since 2013. Um, and in, in particularly in Northwest, uh, where, where my work is focused, uh, CARE's work really focuses on four different pillars. Uh, we work on um, protection and gender aspects. As you can imagine, in a war zone, uh, the protection risks are everywhere, and in particular, the risks to women and girls are significant. We're, we're also working in food security. Uh, unfortunately, millions of people have lost their livelihoods, and as markets and currencies are collapsing around them, um, being able to secure uh, a minimum level of intake of food is actually quite challenging. The WFP has, has warned that we are edging towards sort of famine-like situation in some part of Syria, and that's, of course, our main concern. Uh, we also, and that's particularly relevant to our COVID-19 response, we, are very, we have a quite a significant wash. So that is a water, sanitation, and hygiene program. Uh, where we really target on focus on some of the underlying issues that can create the conditions for a rapid spread, right? So we're trying to provide clean access to clean water, access to soap, uh, safer uh, latrines and, and showers, um, etc. And then finally, we also have a, a big economic recovery program. There are certain pockets of, of northern uh, Syria where we are able to work with uh, households and particularly uh, female-headed households on establishing livelihoods that makes them less reliable on sort of the ongoing provision of aid. Um, our focus right now really is to scale up the COVID-19 related uh, humanitarian program. And that means move people out of overcrowded shelters, provide better access to, uh, to water, uh, clean water and soap, and then really try and provide a safe delivery of food and, and non-food items uh, as possible to avoid creating more harm. I imagine delivery of aid can often be one of the most challenging agenda items to work through. I know over the weekend, after five tries, the UN Security Council was able to push forward a vote that would allow for the reauthorization of aid to enter Syria through Turkey. Can you break down what happened over the past week in this mix-up of countries voting against the ability for aid to get in. And I understand that there was also a difficulty in securing the number of access points that aid could actually enter Syria from. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it's quite a, a complex uh, process that has just played out in in as simple words as I can. Um, the UN has been authorized since 2014 to deliver aid into areas not held by the Syrian government and without authorization from the Syrian government. And until uh, basically, until last year, they were allowed to do so um, to, uh, through four major crossings. Uh, in January, that was cut down to just two crossings in, from, from Turkey into northwestern Syria. And those two crossings have been absolutely vital to, for several million people uh, to receive monthly food assistance, to receive water, medicines, health supplies, etc., etc. Now, that's authorization was up for renewal here on on Friday and 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 a, sort of a bigger a bigger uh, political fight around who do you back in the civil war sort of played out in, in the most nasty way you can imagine where essentially the compromise at, at as the dust settled the compromise was that um, one of the essential border crossings was removed from from the authorized list of, of crossings and so now we're down to one basically um, it's it's not because that crossing wasn't used. In fact, it served more than half a million people, um, but it has been—it's part of sort of a, a continuous effort to undermine the UN aid operation in, into Syria, outside of government-controlled areas. 
Um, and, and unfortunately, we saw that, uh, saw that play out over the weekend. The movement of the Syrian regime of Bashar al-Assad as it relates to this ongoing civil war is often striking the actions against civilians and oftentimes the blocking of international aid and the ability to get simple staples of life to people can sometimes be astounding, I think, to the international community. The work that CARE is doing extremely important all across Syria. Tua Jakobsen, the program director of CARE International for Northwest Syria, thank you again for your time. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 